I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, friends, and welcome to season three of Quit Your Day Job. I am your host, Alicia Fernandez-Miranda. In this podcast, you'll learn all about the fascinating jobs that people do, some that you might never have even heard of, as you contemplate your own possibilities. I started this podcast because I've always been fascinated by jobs. I even quit my own day job to spend a year as an intern, and you can read all about it in my new book, My What If Year. It's out now and can be bought everywhere books are sold. Or head over to my website, aliciafmiranda.com, for more info. In these times of quiet quitting and great resignations and loud quitting or whatever, I think more people than ever want to follow their passion. Everyone on this podcast has, and I encourage you to do the same. Hi, friends. Can you believe that in all these episodes of Quit Your Day Job, I've never had a novelist on the show? Well, I'm about to remedy that today with my interview with the brilliant Andrea Dunlop. Andrea and I met because she is a fellow Zibby Books author. Her fantastic novel, Women Are the Fiercest Creatures, came out in March. It's so good. I highly recommend it. And I'm so excited to have her on the show today. Andrea is an author and consultant who's based out of Seattle, Washington, with over a decade and a half of experience in book publishing. She's the author of four novels, including her most recent, and has been published all over the place. She's also a member of the American Professional Society on the Abuse of Children's Munchausen by Proxy Committee and is the co-creator of Munchausen Support, which is dedicated to providing resources for frontline professionals, families, and survivors. Andrea is a mom of two, and she lives with her husband and kids in Seattle, and she is a delight. I hope you enjoy this. Andrea, welcome to Quit Your Day Job. Hi, Alicia. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a joy. This is a joy. This is another Zibby Books crossover. And as I was listening to you on Zibby's podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, I was like, one, why are you such a genius about everything? Because I knew that, but then I like double knew it. And I loved your latest book, Women Are the Fiercest Creatures. And you do so many amazing things. And then I realized I had not had a novelist on this podcast yet. And since I'm trying to write a novel, it's probably a good idea that I speak to one. Well, I'm very excited to be your first novelist. Well, we are going to chat all things writing, but first we have our little warm-up round. And this is a fun one I came up with for you. Are you familiar with the game Smash or Pass? Oh, yeah. I mean, please. I spend too much time on TikTok, so yes. Excellent. (laughs) So we have a Smash or Pass literary edition. I'm ready. Now, I would probably think about the books themselves, and I would use smash in broadest sense of the positive word. I'm like, I've only ever done this actually with Cody Rigsby on Peloton, and his is (laughs) a very sexual smasher pass. So this is not that. This is a whatever you want it to be smasher pass. (laughs) 
It's just, it's just a general affirmative or negative, right? Yes. Exactly. Exactly. With a cute <laughs> TikTok-y, okay, name. All right. So we've got five titles here. Smash or pass. You ready? I'm ready. Now, what if I haven't read one of these? Mm, then you can say that. And also you can explain your choice if you would like to explain your choice. Okay. So if I, if I also want to, want to, want to ex- explain. Okay. Got it. Okay. All right. Number one, Pride and Prejudice, Smash or Pass. Smash. Yeah, right? It's like the best. I mean, come on. It's a classic. Jane Austen. Gotta love it. Number two. It's like the bones for every like rom-com I, I came after. Okay. Yes. Sorry, really, no, 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 yeah. no. It really, it really is. And in fact, I have just started binge watching the series Younger, uh, which is based on a book by fellow Zibby Books author, Pamela Redmond. And I don't know why I waited so long to watch it because it's like right up my alley, this show. And uh, I'm just watching an episode where they start, she makes a Twitter account for Jane Austen, which is like hilarious. I'm sure somebody has this on Twitter, but she's an icon and we smash all the way through. Smash Pride and Prejudice. And also smash Diana's statement necklaces on Younger. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm lo- I like, I read the book and then I was like, now I need to obviously watch all seven series of the TV show. So Pamela, I hope you're making half of a cent for every stream that you, <laughs> that you get. <laughs> all right. It's so good though. Okay. Number two, Fifty Shades of Grey, smash or pass? Oh, pass. <laughs> I, I, I tried to read it because I really like to read anything that's become like a juggernaut in the industry because even if it's not, you know, even if it's not something that sounds like it's going to be my cup of tea, then I, you know, I, I want to see like what, what is it that's, that's appealed to a massive group of people and <laughs> woo, couldn't do it. Could not, not for prudish reasons, just for, you know, yeah. But no shade to anybody who loves that book, but just. No shade. 50 shades. No, no shade. 50 shades and and zero shade. shade. And uh, that's that's, that's a pass for me. (laughs) That was the first. I'm not sure I could read it now. I have subsequently gone back to like some of those bodice rippers at my ripe old age of 41 and just really can't do it a lot of times because of the writing. But when 50 Shades of Grey came out, Maybe like when did it come out? It was like in my early 30s, maybe late 20s yeah, it's or early least, 30s. It's at least, I think it's a decade old at least. I think yeah. it was before I had kids. And I remember it like it was the first book I was like embarrassed to read on the tube. I was like, I can't, I can't let people see that I'm reading this. I need to somehow like cover it up because they're going to see if I start sweating, they'll be like, why is she getting all hot butter? <laughs> okay, Fitch is great. Okay, pass. All right. Girl on the Train. Girl on the Train, that's the right title for that book, right? Yeah. Uh, Smash. Yeah, I really like Smash. that book. Yeah. yeah. And I don't read a lot of mysteries because I can't seem to get through a whole book without reading the ending first. And then once I know the ending, it kind of takes me out of it. But I like that one. I feel like the Gone Girl and Girl on the Train were like the beginning of the girl doing a thing or a woman doing it, woman in the window on the train passing the, you know, I mean, whatever, like all of those books. And, and I feel like those were two of the best ones. And there've been other good ones in that sort of like, you know, in that sort of genre. But, but that, that to me was, was one of the, one of the best ones. It was so good. All right. Smash or pass Hamlet. Oh, <laughs> um, smash. And, uh, specifically because I got to see Jude Law perform that on stage when I was oh, in New yeah. York city. And I was like, Wow. Like, he's really, like, an actor. Like, I was, like, it was, I was impressed. It was hot. I don't know. It was, I mean, it was, like, I was, like, wow, he's really doing the, like, I mean, 
I feel like Hamlet is like the original, just like emo boy, you know? Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. But it was, it was very captivating. Jude Law, Jude Law, like on stage is like, it was really something. I was impressed. So I'm, I'm going to go smash. Smash Hamlet. This summer at the Fringe Festival, I saw a Hamlet ballet starring Ooh. Ian McKellen, but he did not do the ballet. He was Hamlet, non-dancing. <laughs> and then there was a dancing ballet dancer Hamlet and a lot of other dancing people. And it was pretty weird. I'm not going to lie. Do we, do we smash or pass Hamlet I'm ballet? Pa- I mean, I, pa- I pass. I pass. Pass on Hamlet ballet. <laughs> I always get roped into all of these things because my husband is such a fan of like, any genre, Lord of the Rings, Star Trek, Star Wars, any, you name it. So if Gandalf or Captain Picard or somebody like that is in anything, we will go and see it. So I've also seen uh, Waiting for Godot with Patrick Stewart in it. That was a total pass for me. I wanted to leave at intermission. I thought it was over, but it was not. So with apologies to all the literary people out there. Wow. Okay. We're, we are giving 50 <laughs> shades. Okay. The last one, this is going to be an easy one for you. Smash or pass my what if year. Oh, are you kidding? Smash. Smash, smashity smash. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. It was so fun. It was such a fun exercise. Five stars on Yelp. Making us all want to. <laughs> yeah. Um, you nailed that. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. That was super fun. That, it was fun. I, I can just I wanna... do that for the rest. I, I do that for the rest of the episode. <laughs> Maybe we don't even need to talk about your career as a novelist. <laughs> we should just smash your pals forever. Um, this is really fun. I'm going to be doing this forever now. So, okay. Thank you for being game. All right, my first novelist. Now, I want to hear about how you got into writing because you started your career in publishing. So you've been in the literary world, but like, take me back to little girl Andrea. What did she want to be when she grew up? And how did you get to where you are now? I mean, I wanted to be an author when I was growing up. Like, that was really like, that was it for me from uh, from day one. And fortunately for me, I had the kind of parents that, you know, really believed that you should do what you want to do and and pursue whatever it is that that you feel passionate about and so you know they were always supportive of that and i think it it was i was lucky in that no one well not no one but um no one whose opinion mattered that uh, to, too much to me ever treated it like it was like it was kind of a ridiculous career path you know because i i majored in creative writing in college. And I mean, I did get a lot of comments from people, you know, like dudes, you know, who were like, oh, I remember someone told me like, oh yeah, no worries. Like my sister majored in basket weaving in college and now she has a real job. And I was like, <laughs> oh my well, God. I'm going to be a novelist. So there. So I think about that guy a lot. Um, I mean, not a lot, but like, I think about him once in a while. Suck it, that guy, if you're listening to yeah, this right now. Yeah, I, I hope he's doing like, not bad, but you know, just like mediocre. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, you know, I, I was a creative writing major in college. I moved to, I was a creative writing and French major in college. So, you know, again, oui, oui. highly practical applications there. But yeah, and then I moved to New York City after school. I worked a bunch of temp jobs until I got a temp job at Random House covering for someone in the production department at Bantam Dell who was on maternity leave. And then I was a production assistant for about a year at Crown Publishing. And then I moved on to the publicity department at Doubleday where I spent the rest of my time at Random House. And that was a great way to learn the industry. I really thought I was going to develop all of these like industry connections that were going to help me get published. And (laughs) that is not what happened. Um, I did develop a lot of great connections, but just none of them directly, unfortunately, led, led to me getting published. And that's always kind of funny for people because... 
people will ask, you know, one of the questions you get a lot as a writer, right, is like, well, how do you get published? How do you get an agent? And I was like, I, I got my agent card. My, the agent that I was successful with, I had two other agents before her. The agent that I've been successful with, my agent Carly Waters, who's wonderful, I've been with her for nine years, almost about the same time I've been with my husband. And, you know, I queried her because someone suggested her and I went to her website and I queried her according to the query submissions and that was it. I mean, that, wow. you know, there was no backdoor thing. And certainly, like, I did have some intros to, like, other people, but it just didn't work out. So, you know, so that that's just to say, like, I think sometimes the... uh Certainly, like, you know, connections are always useful. Those always make a difference in life. But I think that that is to say, too, that, like, a lot of us just end up getting getting in the old-fashioned way, which is, like, you try and try and try and try and try and withstand a lot of failures and rejections and close calls. And uh, that's how it happened. Were you writing while you were working at, um, in your various publishing jobs? Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, I think that the only time in my life that I wasn't really writing consistently was, I would say for about a year after I got out of college, you know, I was a, because like I said, I was a creative writing major. We had a really, I went to University of Redlands. I met my mentor, Pat Geary, there, who's a professor that I took a lot of classes with, who my first book is dedicated to, because she was just really the first person that like, made me feel like, oh, like, I think I can do this as a career. You know, if I, whatever, if I work really hard, but I think I, you know, really felt the spark with her. So, mm. yeah. And I mean, I was, you know, writing was basically part of my job in college, right? I mean, I look back at that time and I'm like, man, you thought like you had so much to do and really your job was to like, write, <laughs> Go to class and play tennis because I was an athlete. So I was like, that, that's just a nice, that's a nice gig while you had it, you know, and then like, drink too much on the weekends. But anyway, so yeah, I, you know, I was, I had a very structured environment in college. I was in workshops. I had a mentor, like there was just, it was, it was comparably very easy to devote that time to it in college. And then, you know, once I went out in the world and was living in New York, which is a very exciting city and was, you know, like doing all the things you do when you're in your twenties in New York, as you know, you know, just being, like I was just being a party Eating animal French and, fries and sort of, on the street at yeah. 4 a.m. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All the things a young person should do in, in New York. And um, yeah, I, I I didn't have that structure and and it was hard to get back into it. And then, you know, I had this conversation I've talked about many times before that is was really a pivotal conversation. You know, one of the really fun things, and I, I think one of the biggest values for me as a writer working in publishing when I was at Doubleday in particular, because I was a publicist and you work very one-on-one with authors. So I was like, you know, spending a lot of time, like taking authors to their events in Connecticut or whatever. And there was this one author that I met through actually Sophie Dahl, who did, um, Roald Dahl's granddaughter. She's a, you probably know, she's just, I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. She was like a big model and she's, she was lovely. And at her book party, I met this writer, Polly Devlin, who at the time was teaching at, at Barnard. She's an Irish writer. And we just like hit it off and we started hanging out and, you know, just getting coffee once in a while. And I finally, like, I was always very like furtive about being a writer. Cause I just didn't want to be like, it just felt very lame to like tell all these like serious people. You're like, I'm a writer too. You know, you just feel like you feel very silly. Right. I don't know why. I, I still don't, know don't why. like, I still can't tell people I'm a writer. <laughs> yeah. I don't, it's a vaguely humiliating job for some reason that I don't totally uh, understand <laughs> yet. You're like, I'm le- and, like, until it's like, you feel like until you are like, and then even the people like who, who do have like all the success in the world still have a little of that. But yeah, so I was like very bashful about it. And so she finally kind of got it out of me and, and, 
I was like, yeah, you know, I'm working on a novel. And I was, I think I was 25 at the time. And I was like, I'm writing a novel, but I'm like not having very much, I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble making progress with it. And so she was asking me about, you know, what my writing routine was. And I was like, well, I work on it when I can kind of thing. And she really, like, she looked at me dead in the eyes and was like, all right, well, you have three big things, you know, working against you. Like, number one, you know, you have a full-time job, right? You have, like, a busy full-time job. Number two, you live in the most exciting city in the world and, like, you're a young person and there's, like, no, you know, limit of distractions in New York City. And she said, number three, you're terrified. And I can see that just looking at you. She goes, let me tell you something that fear is not going anywhere. So just make friends with it, you know, like yeah. be, be, be at home with it. Like that fear will always in some, in some way be with you. She was like, so you need to do something about what you can do. And so she said, well, when, you know, when do you wake up in the morning? And I was like, you know, like uh, eight o'clock, like basically as late as I possibly can <laughs> to roll Love out of bed uh-huh. and like <laughs> drag myself to the subway and so she said, I was like, you know, like eight o'clock. And so she said, well, well, can you, can you wake up an hour earlier? And I was like, I mean, I am not a natural morning person. Do not understand natural morning people. I'm married to one. It's very annoying. But yeah, so I was like, well, I guess like, yeah, I guess I could get up an hour earlier. And she <laughs> said, well, let me tell you what will happen if you don't. You will be sitting here 10 years from now wondering why you never finished your novel. And I was like, ah, so that got me out of bed in the morning. And then <laughs> Within like four months, I had finished my novel and I queried agents. I got an agent. I totally was like, I partied. I went out with my roommate. I was like, hell yes, this is it. Like next stop, this is an author. <laughs> um, no, as it turned out, I did not sell that novel. I did not sell the next one. It was like a long time, but it was like, I, w- I was there. Like I had, I had reached that first hurdle, you know, like I'd completed a book that I was proud of. I'd gotten an agent. I was like, okay, like didn't work out, but like I'm on to something And I have just really kept that advice close to my heart ever since. And and I think that that was really like a moment that changed my life. And and something I've thought back on, like I kind of think back on that summer that I was working on that book a lot now that I'm in it, because, you know, what nobody tells you all those years that you're an aspiring author is that like, you'll get to the other side of that. And and it's like your life doesn't automatically like change, you know. Like you know that you're on your debut book. It's yeah, like, it's a really exciting thing. Like it's a great moment, but it's a moment and it passes. And then the next thing is that you have to do the next thing and you write the next book. And like I always think of like I, I remember that summer because I was so happy to be working. I would wake up in the morning. I would walk down the street because like I was literally like so I was like such a child that I couldn't even make coffee in my own apartment. Like it was just <laughs> I was we were like true New York City girls, like storing shoes in the oven. I mean the whole nine yards, you know. <laughs> so like we like I would go around to the Dunkin' Donuts. Everyone in New York loves Dunkin', you know, went around the street to the corner to the Dunkin' Donuts. I got gigantic iced coffee because it was summer and it was hot. And they would like see me coming, get my iced coffee for me. I would take it back. I would sit at my desk for one hour. And it was just such a gift. You know, it was like, this is my hour where I'm like chasing my dream, you know? And it's like, it's just like a really beautiful feeling. And it didn't matter that that book didn't sell ultimately because I thought back on that moment and I still think about it because there's something really beautiful about being in that space with a project where you're not thinking about the business end, you know, like 
once you start to have thinking about the business and like a lot of that is pretty like angsty and weird, you know, and there's a lot of disappointments. There's not disappointment and rejection doesn't end after you get published, unfortunately. So, you know, to withstand all of that, I feel like you have to really just love being at your desk with an iced coffee or whatever it is that you like to be at your desk with. I love that so much. I think that's an amazing story. And I also, you know, a lot of people that I've had on the podcast or even people that I've been talking to through the promo of my What If You're, you know, they talk about wanting to do something. And a piece of advice that I give is to sometimes you have to do it as a side hustle for a little bit, but there's like a very key word in there, which is hustle. Like you can't just kind of expect to keep your working hours between nine and five and do a job that's paying you and then another job that's pursuing your passion and forget about it if you have kids or a family or other responsibilities to take care of. And it feels very hard sometimes to like sacrifice that hour of sleep or two hours of sleep as it may be at the altar of pursuing your passion. But I just love that. I can see you. I can like see you in this like sex in the city world with your iced coffee, like tickety ticking on your laptop, writing the next great American novel. I love it. I just think it's, I think it's an amazing story. Okay. So how many books? It was, have you it was the most Carrie Bradshaw I will ever the be. Most, <laughs> the most. Brunette, the brunette Carrie Bradshaw. But I love it. Yeah, now, and like not and like not a terrible narcissist. I won't go on like a whole thing about Carrie Bradshaw, but I'm sure we can. <laughs> Should anyway, we, is that anyway, yes. second? Sorry, is that another podcast we record? Um, <laughs> yes. Oh my god! I'm so. I feel like we're gonna do a whole season together. I don't even know what I we're gonna talk so. about. Yes, it's a show about nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Just listen to Andrea and Alicia. Andrea and Alicia Hour. I love it. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Okay, but I want to. Okay, so how many? Full-length books have you written versus how many you've had published? Oh, God. Okay. Well, I've had four published, so that's easy. That's the easy part. Other than that, I had that book that I was talking about, the one that I finished writing during that summer, and I did actually end up self-publishing it, and then I pulled it because I just decided that, like, that was not my best work, and I didn't put any effort into self-publishing it. I didn't... I was not, like, one of these true self-publishing girlies that just works their ass off to get an audience, and I, I... I realized it was because I didn't feel really good enough about the work. And I I think so that's like a whole other conversation about when is it a good time to self-publish and when is it not? I think you have to be really like committed to the project and really believe in the project and and commit to that process. But so, yeah, so I have that one. I have, oh my God, I I, I truly, there's at least one other one. There's one that I wrote in college and like, sort of was my college, like, almost think of it as, like, my college thesis project. I, like, yeah. wrote it and rewrote it and rewrote it throughout college, and I'll, like, never do anything with that one. And then, beyond that, huh. Oh, there's a third one. Okay, so there's at least three. There's one that I wrote. So the second agent I had, it was a it was a co-writing project with this, like, sort of proto-influencer gal that... Uh, <laughs> roped me into this project and really like was very, was a very dazzling, charming person. And then she decided that she didn't want to do it on the day that we were supposed to submit it to editors. So that sucked. And yeah, and that was when I learned to like never, that was a good lesson for me about collaboration. But so that was, so, so three, I would say there's like three full length and then like, I mean, untold numbers of like, you know, 30,000 word drafts of something that I started and then either got distracted or that wasn't the thing or, you know. So yeah, but there's like three complete novels out there that didn't get published. And I think for good reason. And, And some of those, you know, some of those have ended up being the sparks for like other novels that did get published. I mean, I, I think that's like, you know, 
if you didn't publish something, then you can feel free to like steal from yourself as much as you like. So that's that's a nice thing. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I just find that idea of having put in all this effort to write a book and then fairly miraculously have getting it published because it's not a given, even if you write a good book, that it's going to get published. This idea that you can have, go through all of that effort and then just put that away and have to start another one. I get it that that's the job, but like, do you feel like you've gotten better at that as years have gone on? Like being able to just close the drawer and be like, time to move on to something new and not get so emotional about it? Because it feels crazy to me. I'm working on this novel. I'm, you know, it's, it's coming along, but the idea that I would have put all this effort into that project only to have it never seen the light of day is frankly a little bit scary to me. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Like there've been moments since I have been published where, you know, things looked uncertain for one project or another where I wasn't sure if, if it was going to see the light of day. And that has not happened. That has not ended up happening since I've been published, but You know, yeah, it's always a possibility. But I I think it really just, you know, like, number one, unless your book is so time-sensitive that it has to be published now or never. You know, if you're writing, like, a political book about the 2024 election, or it's like, God, help us all. But, like, you know, (laughs) whatever. If it's Stop. Stop writing that book right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to read it. It's a horror novel. But, yeah, I mean, unless you're writing something that's so timely, right, like... It might just not be the right time for that. I mean, one good story of that is like my first book, Losing the Light. I had many attempts to publish that book. And at first, I couldn't even get an agent for that book. And I rewrote that and rewrote it and put it back in a drawer. And I mean, I started writing it in college. That was the second book I started writing in college. And I put that away and brought it out and put it away for over 11 years, over a time period of 11 years. I wrote other stuff during that time, but like, you know, I tried to get an agent before I got Carly. Like I tried to get an agent with it. Couldn't even get an agent from it. And I will never forget. I got this one piece of feedback from an agent. <laughs> she said, I can't, I cannot remember what year this was. Probably this was like the late aughts. It was like uh, 2010-ish. <laughs> and she was like, this is a really well-written novel. And I, so this is the book that ended up being Losing the Light. And she said, you know, I... I can see exactly where this would fit in the space between commercial and and women's fiction, or excuse me, commercial and literary fiction. They hadn't really like developed that space of like upmarket fiction. There wasn't really that name for it. So that's what she meant. Right. But it's just so hard to sell anything without a paranormal element right now because like vampires are the thing. (laughs) 
And so I was like, I really had a moment where I was like, well, maybe like Alex could be a vampire. And I was like, stop. I was like, you need to step away. <laughs> like you can't try and write to trends, you know? And so like, that just, but that's just exactly illustrative of like the whole thing, right? Is that like the market, the market is, you know, quixotic and doesn't make any sense and will never make any sense. And like, what I know now from being in publishing, either behind the scenes or whatever, in the scenes, on the <laughs> scenes, all around the scenes, you know, for like basically 20 years now, almost, is that like, nobody knows. There's a lot of smart people in this industry doing a lot of smart, cool things, but nobody knows what's going to hit. Nobody knows. Mm. It is basically like publishing is a casino and people are placing their bets. And like some nights, everyone at the casino is like way drunker than others, you know? <laughs> and that's the industry. And so like, I think I have gotten much better at not taking things personally. I mean, I remember when I was first querying for agents, the first time that I got an agent and didn't sell that book. So I was, you know, 26 or 27. And like, I would cry every time I got a rejection letter. Oh. I would just cry. <laughs> Cause it was so sad. Cause you just, it's so personal and you're just like, Oh, and you're so close and you just want it so bad. And, and like, now I feel like, and then like every time, you know, it's just like, it's gotten a lot less emotional for me. Right. Like yeah. now I don't like just take it so to heart because it's just ups and downs. And like, you also just can't control. It's like, some people are going to love your book. Some people are going to hate it. It's just, you know, that's such a healthy it's, attitude. I, I've gotten more practice at not taking it personally. That's not to say that I never have like down moments because for yeah. sure I do. But yeah. That's very good. Do you, what was the moment when you essentially became a full-time writer and podcaster? You know, you're working on a number of different books right now. You've got your amazing podcast. You know, how did you know when it was time to make that your main gig? Like where was that, you know, where did that come into play? Yeah. So, I mean, that's really been a process. And I mean, I left my last full-time job where I had like a boss and a paycheck in 2016. But that was, then that was when my first book came out and when I got married. And the, <laughs> the getting married part is kind of crucial because of the health insurance angle, because, you know, we live in a country where the only place, way to have health insurance is to either have a, you know, yeah. like, a corporate job or be married to someone who who does. So fortunately, my, my husband has like a more traditional job. So that allowed me to go full-time freelance. And so I was doing a lot of consulting throughout the first few years of that. So I was by no means like I had a more flexible sort of work life, but I was by no means like just writing. And I would say when I switched over more to just writing, I had my daughter in 2018 and that's when my third book came out. I was still doing some consulting. I, you know, I kind of just, I kind of just have the levers of like creative work and consulting and they kind of right. go up and down. Right. I would say over the last two years because of the podcast, which we, you know, originally had sold to a network that didn't work out. We moved forward as an independent podcast. So, you know, that's been like its own interesting sort of industry journey, but you know, we do have now like sponsors and, and that kind of thing. And so that's become, you know, that's become another sort of source of income. So I would say actually it's been really over the last couple of years, but that isn't to say that like, I'll never do any consulting again. Right. And I'm very grateful to have that in my back pocket. I mean, I think that like, 
it was very good for me to do, to have a, a real resume that was, you know, more immediately useful than, <laughs> than, you know, not that writing isn't useful, but it just like, you know, you never know. It's very unpredictable. That's what it is. Very unpredictable. Yeah. You know, I always have these LOL conversations with my tax accountants every year about quarterly taxes because they're like, well, you should estimate. And I'm like, would you like to estimate how much money you think <laughs> I'm going to make this year? Because I have no idea. <laughs> so, you know, like I literally have no idea. It's going to depend on whether I sell this project, how much for, how much I use. Like, it's just all unpredictable. So it's a, it's a fun ride <laughs> or not sometimes. Or not. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I'm I mean, I always think like with creative work, I mean, like nothing makes me sweat more than when I'm like chatting with someone and they're like at a party or whatever. And they're like, I, you know, really want to write a novel. I think I'm going to take a year off my job. And I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, don't do that. I'm like, (laughs) don't do that. First of all, you will be paralyzed. Secondly, you don't need eight hours a day to write a book. Like the most I ever write is like four four or five hours. I mean, just sheer writing, right? If I'm doing like kind of a variety of projects, I can do it all day. Like I can spend a couple hours writing, spend a couple hours, you know, researching or whatever. But like, you don't need all day to write. And it's like, start off with finding an hour to write instead of doing something else. Yeah. And see if you like it and can stick to it. For God's sakes, like, don't quit your day job. <laughs> Basically. Don't quit your day job. Don't. Don't quit your, quit your day job. Don't quit your opposite day Opposite of what we're I saying on like, this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Like, also, I mean, I think, like, it. it's, like, I also have, I mean, I, I think it's it's important to talk about, too, that, like, you know, because I'm married, because I didn't have uh, student debt, because of a lot of these things, you know, I, because I have like a sort of a personal safety net, which uh, unfortunately is the only kind of safety net that exists in this country. Right. I have been able to take some risks that not everyone is in a place to take. And I really hate it when people give writing advice that assumes that everyone is in the same circumstances. Yeah. And that is just not the case. But I think, so I think like when people are looking at it with their own lives and if you want to be a writer, I mean, number one, like, people have the best stories of how they wrote a novel in the margins of time in their life. And that is how most of it happens. I mean, even now, when I'm working on a new project, it's like in the margins of my other projects that are more sort of like active and have deadlines, right? And so I think like that's just a very good habit to pick up. And like, however you do it, if you have a little bit of time to write every weekend, if you can take, you know, a chunk of time and try and binge, right? I mean, that's how Cheryl Strayed does it. Like, whatever it is that works for you, that is what works for you. And like, writing is like, I mean, it's not, you know, uh, we're not emergency room doctors, right? Like, it's not that life or death. Like, sometimes I think, like, I love books. I've devoted a huge part of my career to everything about books, writing them with publishing. I've always loved books. But like at the end of the day, like it's not that serious, you know, like it's not, it's not life or death and it never will be. And the people in your life, whether it's your kids or your close friends or your spouse or your aging parents or whatever, it's like all those things are more important. And if you are acting like your art is more important than you're being an art monster (laughs) and somebody needs to like pull you down. Right. And like, I mean, women mostly don't have this problem because we don't really like let women be art monsters in our country, but like, or in our society or probably anywhere, but like, you know, so I might be speaking a little more specifically about a current, a different demographic, but (laughs) you know, like I, I hear people say that about writing like, Oh, if you just, if you feel like you can't, 
you have to write because you feel like you can't breathe if you can't write. And I'm like, okay, like, uh, relax, like go touch grass (laughs) as the kids say, you know, I mean, like chill out, man. Like it's books. And, and I think like I do this other work now, and this is not to say this in sort of a, like, I don't want to be like insufferable about it, but like I do this other work with like abuse survivors now and the Munchausen by proxy stuff I do with my little tiny 501c3 and my podcast. And I'm like, that tends to keep things in perspective, yeah. <laughs> like talking to people that are like trying to navigate, uh, you know, trauma and the healthcare system and poverty. And like that, that really puts things in perspective about, you know, like ah, making up stuff and putting it on the page. <laughs> I love it. It's very important to me. I'm not being dismissive of it. And also, yeah, both things are true. Both things are true. I love this. Okay. So as usual, you've been brilliant on this podcast and we could probably talk all day. I think we will when we do our <laughs> Sex in the City recap episode takedown yes. for sure. Keep that, keep that. Keep it in my back pocket. <laughs> I heard radio if you're listening. This one's coming your way. No, this has been amazing. And you've given such great advice already. I like to finish up with advice. I also will say before we go that um, Women Are the Fiercest Creatures is a fantastic book. It is just out. You have to buy it. It's wonderful. We didn't talk too much about it, but I would definitely recommend Zibby's episode with you if you want to deep dive into the book and the story. But tell me what advice you have for the aspiring novelist who's maybe written something, getting ready to take it out into the world, scared to do it. What do you have to say to that person? Okay. So yeah, specifically if you are like getting ready to make the jump, getting ready to query agents, right? That's what we're talking about. Yeah. So yeah, I think in that case, you know, number one, make sure it's your best work, right? I think don't ever send something to an agent that is half complete, that is not your best work, that you haven't done a ton of work to revise, right? Like give yourself the best chance by just like putting in, you know, work with, uh, you know, go to a writer's workshop, get some beta readers or writing buddies, figure out how to edit your own work. Like do that first, like get to be where you have a book where you're like, if this went to print tomorrow, I would be really proud of it because the secret about first novels in particular, most of them do like most of them are so close to being done because they have to be, because that's the standard that like, they're actually for me anyway, like my my book, my first book was not that much different. I mean, it went through edits, but they were not massive, right? Wow. So have it as good as you can possibly get it. And then just try and make a huge list of agents, start banging it out, follow people's query specifications exactly. That's, <laughs> you wouldn't believe how many people don't do that. They all say it on their website. That's an easy thing. And from then, you know, if you get rejected, just know like that is you earning your stripes. You you are going through what every author has ever gone through. That is kind of a rite of passage. And I feel like going through all of that early rejection for me made me like a better writer and a stronger person. And it's a really valuable experience. And, you know, I think something that I was told and this really was helpful is that like there's these different kinds of rejection you get, right? If you get rejections, if you get all form letters or all like just like, ghost, like nobody mm-hmm. replies, then like you probably like your query letter needs some work. Your manuscript needs some work. If you start getting rejections that have some feedback in them, that means that agent saw, saw something in you. So even if it's just like, you know, I liked this part, but I didn't like the, even if it's short, if there's anything personal in the rejection, that is a really good sign. 
And you have to kind of like hold on to those little wins, you know, because it's just, it, it's just, and for some writers I know, it's like the first query they sent, they got their first agent, but that's, that's the minority. So <laughs> I would say like rejection is a really valuable experience. It builds up the resilience that you need to make it through to be a career novelist, if that's what you really want to do. So yeah, I would say just like try and embrace that. And like, you're allowed to cry and be grumpy about rejections for like one day. My, I think I'm trying to remember now, it was my friend Lilith Marcus, who's a really talented writer, who told me that like, she lets like, you know, whatever it is, a rejection, a bad review, whatever it is, she like gives herself like a day to stew over it. And then she has to get over it. And I think that's so like good. a really good rule of them. I love that. Yeah. I love that this is how I had to get you to have a conversation with me by recording it. But now the world gets to celebrate <laughs> our chat. Andrea, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast today. Oh, thank you. This was such a blast. Thanks so much for listening to Quit Your Day Job. We are produced by Zibby Audio and want to send a huge thanks to Zibby Owens, Chelsea Grogan, and the team at Texture Sound for their support. Don't forget to buy your copy of my What If Year, which is out now. You can also sign up for my mailing list on aliciafmiranda.com or find me on Instagram at aliciafmiranda. It's the best place to hear about future podcasts and, of course, memes about Gilmore Girls. And if you decide to quit your day job, please share that too. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.